Welcome to By the Fiberside, a knitting and spinning podcast from somewhere in the western half of Canada. Episode 69, Relaxing. I was spinning in public this weekend, attending a trade show on behalf of my partner's business. I brought my Hanson mini spinner since I knew space would be at a premium, and was working on a lovely gradient braid in merino and sparkle. I got a few double takes. Lots of people wanted to touch the fiber. I had some lovely conversations about the mechanics of twist and electric wheels, heard some anecdotes about relative spinning, and in one case about a woman's early work in an Irish spinning and weaving mill. But by and large, the comment I got was, that looks relaxing. By the end of the show, I'd been spinning for over five hours with only small breaks. My drafting fingers were sore. Remind me to cut my fingernails before I do that kind of marathon again. My hips were unhappy, and my hands were a little cramped. I'd spun probably 75 grams of a 100-gram braid on a woolly winder that has a bit more draw than I would normally like for a singles of that thickness. It was a long day at the end of a long week, and being at the show was a lot of stress on my body and mind. And yet, they were right. I was in much better condition having spun all day than I would have been if I hadn't had my wheel with me. So when they made that comment, I always replied, Yes, it is. I have thought a lot about the meditative qualities of spinning lately. I regret not being able to take Deb Bem's Spinning for Meditation class in my second year of the Master Spinner program. Deb was a yoga instructor and an excellent spinner, and I wish I had had the opportunity to learn more from her before she passed away. I know a lot about spinning, but little enough about meditation. Despite that, it's impossible to sit down at a wheel with some well-prepared fiber in a quiet house or with some music playing, and not feel the rhythm acts as some part of your brain that might remain otherwise closed. I still remember a day early last winter when my stress injury got triggered in the morning, and instead of dealing with it then, I distracted myself with tasks and other things until the point where I thought to sit down at my wheel and spin for a little bit. I made it about two minutes before the emotions I'd been avoiding welled up, and I had no choice but to stop spinning and deal with them. Since then, spinning has been a major part of my healing and mental practice, allowing me to find rhythm and balance and take stock of where I am. I recently spun a skein of yarn from tightly wound textured row legs from a blending board, a fiber sample I got in a spinning box several years ago. I am used to spinning hand-carded row legs, but there was no way these would be spun woolen. The process of spinning that yarn taught me a lot about letting go. I had to change spinning techniques on the fly. They were more textured than they appeared from the outside, so I couldn't even really try to spin a consistent yarn. I struggled off and on through spinning and plying with the yarn I thought it should be, a light, airy, relatively consistent woolen one, and instead consciously relaxed into and embraced the yarn that it was, full of visual interest, shiny and dense, and very fun. And once it was completed, I really did love that yarn. Even my wedding shawl yarn did not turn out quite the way I had envisioned. 
Despite being dyed together, each half of the doubled braid had different amounts of each color in them, which yielded some long sections of barber pole blending between them. I started out disappointed when I began plying, but by the time I finished and had skeined it up, I had come to accept that it was going to be what it was, and there was nothing I could do at this point to change it. And, despite my initial misgivings, it is working up wonderfully. Spinning has taught me that, while it is possible to spin the exact yarn you want, down to the twists per inch and wraps per inch and any other measurement you care to make, it is not always possible to do that out of every fiber, every preparation, and on every wheel or spindle. There are a lot of variables in play in spinning and in life. Like I told my level 3 students last year, if you're not being successful spinning a 12 TPI skein with cotton, switch to silk. You'll waste more time trying to make it happen than you might otherwise if you just adjusted one of the variables in play and see what happens. And sometimes that variable is your own attitude and mental state. Spinning is meditative, and it is relaxing. Maybe not in marathon quantities, with an imperfect ergonomic setup, but generally, if you are able to listen to your body and mind, and start and stop when either of them call for it, the act of creating yarn from fiber is incredibly soothing. Pull out the fiber and slide your fingers up. Treadle at a consistent pace. Can you do it without looking? With your eyes closed? What does your mind say? Are you counting? Are you breathing along with your count? Are you experiencing emotions? Don't forget to take a drink of water when you stop to change hooks. Shake out your hands. Do you need to stand up? Do you need to stretch? Do backwards arm circles. Are you holding tension in your shoulders and chest not related to spinning? Roll your shoulders back before you start again. These may sound like simple things, but they are the start I am using to make spinning a meditative practice. And sometimes, like Saturday, I don't think about these things, but I still spin, and I let the magic work on me anyways. Thanks for listening. This is By the Fiberside. Fiber Week. One of the things I noticed while I was working on the Master Spinner program, while working full-time, was that I didn't feel like I had enough time to really devote to proper fiber preparation from fleece. And there are people out there that just love it. They would, would spin that way everything if they could. That was never me. But this past couple weeks, I was able to do a little bit of sampling with the Romney fleece that I washed. I, uh, I combed up uh, a little bit of uh, top from it, and I also carted up some sliver and just made a couple samples with that. Because it was, you know, top and sliver, wasn't terribly much difference between them. The, the sliver is a little... Well, it's got a little bit more fuzz to it and, and fluff, and it was a little airier. But I also want, I haven't done this yet, but I want to spin it up woolen because this particular Romney is quite short, and I think it'll, I think the woolen will be very, uh, very interesting between, um, so you can see the difference between the two different styles of spinning. 
And once I'm done that sample, I'll decide how I want to spin all of this up. After all, I do have three Romney fleeces, but I will have to sample between all three of them because, you know, they may have different uh, lock structures. They may have different staple lengths, all of that stuff. So, but sitting down and actually working through preparing from fleece, I can, I can definitely see how people do love this because you are actually creating something literally from scratch. You know, all the way from uh, how how is the best? What's the best preparation for this fleece? You know, how how is it best done for this particular fiber? And you can make those decisions when you do spin from raw fleece. So, I think once I'm sa- once I've sampled up the woolen and taken a look at that, what I may also do is try and spin it worsted, but a little thicker. I did spin it quite thin, and. Uh, just see what yarn I like best and or if I have a couple favorites then I'll swatch them up and see what they look like and how they feel once they're worked up and then and then I can spin up a fleece's worth I know uh, I have a friend back in Edmonton who has made several sweaters out of uh, yarn that she's spun from raw fleece and I love them they're amazing and, you know, it might be time for me to do something like that myself. She, she's she got a lovely uh, Elizabeth Zimmerman's bog jacket that I kind of covet right now because it is super rainy here and cold. And I think a bog jacket would be an excellent thing to wear outside in the rain because it will keep you warm. Beyond that, I've been doing a little bit of spinning in between all of my freelance work. I've uh, finished the first singles of the Superwash Merino 3-ply, and I've started on the second. Um, but I'm, I'm not getting a ton of spinning time in right now, which is unfortunate, because I've, I've got uh, quite a bit of work to do with my writing, uh, as well as uh, some master spinner work is starting to, to come up. It's, it's marking season, so that is coming. Uh, and then, of course, I spent five hours on Saturday spinning up a, a gradient, so I'm really close to having that done, so I, I'm almost wondering if I should prioritize that over the three-ply and just get it finished and chained and and all done. And eventually I need to get back to my ridiculously fine project on my Lendrum, but I think I'll focus on getting the other two done first, because that one's not getting done anytime soon. I've also been laying the groundwork to run a spindle course here in January, once uh, the holiday madness is over. Everybody's really ramping up now in terms of getting ready for December. But I do have uh, a few people interested in, in learning how to spin on a spindle, so I'm working on that. And I've also been spending some time thinking about what are my other strengths, besides as a teacher, that I could roll into a half day or a full day course so that I can start developing that. I've been thinking about things like, you know, maybe trying out cellulose fibers because a lot of people don't don't feel like they can do that on their own or uh, or what what all what all the yarn measurements mean and and how you can apply them to your work or or you know, planning the yarn for a project and and sampling and all the variables involved in that. And I think those are all good ideas. I just need to take the time to develop them. I've been uh, thinking of myself in the last few weeks as a as a teacher but I just am not sure what to teach right now 
So I want to spend some time thinking about that and figure that out. Since we're talking about teaching, let's go on to level four. We're on to module C1, which is Lopi. <sighs> I, hmm, Lopi. Lopi is not the type of yarn I usually spin. Definitely not. So this was a real challenge for me. So when you're spinning Lopi, what are some of the keys? High take up when you're spinning on a wheel is, is important. Why might that be? Lopi is a low twist, thick singles. So one of the things that you have to do is get your yarn on your bobbin before more twists get in, gets inserted. So you want a high take up. You want it to pull onto your bobbin very quickly. So that's one piece of it. Another piece is a woolen preparation. This is a woolen spin. You want the twist heading into the fiber supply to hold it together. That means that, you know, you, you're going to use a two-handed woolen spin, you know, to, to manage the twist and make sure that, you know, you're because of the high take-up, you can still get the twist into the fiber supply, make a stable yarn before you get it onto your bobbin. And the other important piece, and this is probably the most important piece of spinning lopi, is that you want primitive sheep fiber with a double coat. You need the long tog fibers there to act as a stabilizer to the short tail fibers because the tog will get that twist and hold it and that will make it a more stable yarn than if you just, you know, tried to, to manage it with the short tail fibers. So that's really important. Now, obviously, lopi is generally done with Icelandic. That doesn't mean you can't do it with any other primitive fleece, but Icelandic is probably your best bet. And you want, and you definitely want to card that up and make sure. So you don't want to, definitely don't want to comb it because then you're going to remove all the tell. So you want to card it up. You want to make sure that all the fibers are in there, and and that they're not necessarily aligned. So uh, an Icelandic roving is probably a good bet for creating really nice lopy yarns. When I did this, and it may continue to be in, and I think it is still in the curriculum, is you have to do a lopy yarn out of Icelandic roving, as well as you have to card up some rolags of what we call faux lopy and uh, spin that up as well. So your faux lopy is about 75% merino that doubles in for the the tell uh, about 15% mohair which is sort of your in between and then 5% camel hair which acts as the tell but sorry the tog the mohair gives it a bit of, of shine, and also because they're generally longer fibers, then it uh, it also helps stabilize it. Now, camel hair is really hard to come by these days, so anything that is long and fairly coarse will double in there. Um, I believe last year for level four, Michelle Boyd used curly horse hair. So why not? You know, it's coarse and, you know, long and, and works. Uh, 
or probably Scottish back blackface. If you were to remove that tell and blend it in, uh, that might work as well. So I probably spun one of the thinner lopies in the world <laughs> with my Icelandic and not not as much with my my merino blend lopi, but definitely my Icelandic was quite thin. Kara and I always kind of laughed and said that we'd spun the thinnest lopis in the world and handed them in. But they're still stable and they still prove that we understand the concept of lopi. I did lose some marks on my Icelandic lopi because it was not terribly even. And that may have been the preparation or or may have just been because me and lopi, I need more practice at it. I'd like to get some Icelandic roving. Uh, you can get it from Custom Woolen Mills and just spin a whole bobbin of lopi and give it a shot. So, anyway, those are kind of my thoughts on lopi. It is pretty yarn. You know, it's just a singles, but it it really is nice to to look at, to feel, to spin. So, you know, if you if you haven't tried it, give it a shot. It's uh, it is a lot of fun. Up next is module C two, where you spin a whole bunch of skeins from different types of preparations from the same fleece and see what happens. So what happens? We'll find out in the next episode. Fiber Notes. I remember when I had a regular job and that included mandated breaks and lunch breaks and I used to knit on my breaks and lunch breaks and I got a lot done. And right now I don't have a regular job and I don't mandate myself breaks and lunch breaks and so I don't knit at work. And I'm not getting as much done. It's it's funny, you know, if you don't spend time at it, you don't get as much done. Which is a, sh- a long way of saying I'm not still not done the socks. And I have about, I have exactly 10 days before Halloween to get them finished. Now I'm through the gusset and I'm onto the foot and it won't take long to get to the toe because it's just knitting around and around and around. And I have 10 days, so I'm still aiming to be done by Halloween, but I'm not quite done them yet. Funny how that works. But I'm definitely um, feeling the need for more wool socks. We've had a week of rain, and, and here on the coast, that's winter. So this is what I get to look forward to. And uh, we had to. We walked for lunch today, and I stepped in a puddle, and my shoes are not waterproof, and I was not wearing wool socks today, and so my toes got quite cold after we got back. So definitely need more wool socks. So I'm definitely I'm going to work on getting those done for Halloween. Um, the rain is going to break according to the weather forecast, so I should be able to finish them before the next round of rain comes. I also got a little bit more done on the wedding shawl. I'm halfway through chart five and the rows are getting really long now. So if I get two done in a night, I'm pretty happy with that. But the pattern is really, it's just coming out so beautifully and I'm getting more color changes because of course I'm going through more yarn now. The other, the problem though is people keep asking me when we're going to get married. (laughs) 
the short answer is when I finish the shawl, I can actually set a date. But uh, I'm thinking I'm going to have to set a date sooner rather than later. Um, we were thinking about either the spring or next fall, which means either a half a year or a year. And maybe people out there who've planned weddings before can tell me if it's possible to do it on short notice. Especially if when you want to bring people in and have them like have places to stay and stuff like that. But I have a feeling I need to, you know, not say, hey, we're getting married next weekend, please come. So I better get on this pretty soon. Maybe even before I'm done the shawl. <sighs> oh well. I decided not to cast on anything new for my birthday, but I did plan out a project. I uh, I picked one of the skeins of yarn that I got at Knit City and decided in my infinite wisdom that I wanted to do a double knit scarf with it. So I went down to the local yarn shop and got myself a contrasting color. And now it's just waiting there. I need to, once I'm ready to cast on, I'll ball up the yarns and get started. But I'm waffling between two different patterns. They're both double knit scarves, but one has a flock of sheep on it. Um, so reversed. So when you have it hanging around your neck, you have the, they're both facing up. And there's always one, there's one black sheep in the midst of all the quote unquote black. One one color sheep in the midst of all the other color sheep. And because my yarns are sort of a blackish purple and a, a light gray purple, uh, I think that would work out very well. But the other pattern is a clockwork dragon. Which would be super cool to work on. So I'm really kind of I'm sitting with both of these and trying to figure out which one I want to do. And you know, I've got I've got enough I've got enough projects. I need to finish the wedding shawl, I need to finish my socks. So once one of those is done, that that's when I'll cast on for this uh this double knit pattern. And so that gives me still time to figure out which one I think will work best. I also need to replace the thumbs on my sister's mittens again. You know, my sister's really, really knit-worthy because this will be the second time I've replaced the thumbs on these mittens. So this will be the third set of thumbs. And yeah, I still have yarn, so she can wear out probably... She can probably wear out the thumbs two or three more times before I run out of yarn. But yeah, she's totally knit-worthy. The only unfortunate thing is they won't be done by her birthday, which is later this week. So I'll have to send them to her later on. But those are kind of the high priority things I'm working on right now. And yeah, in the next episode will be just after Halloween. You'll know if I finished my socks by then. Cranking on the fiber side. We're making fabric on the sock machine. It's not great fabric. There's <laughs> there's a lot of dropped stitches. The the gates are not working fantastically well. Some of them will they're they're going okay, but you know, as soon as we switch directions to make a heel, they're just dropping like flies. 
and uh, and you know there's some other things that are going on with the gates. So, but it's working. You know, it's working okay. And with the drop stitches, I I still need a lot of practice picking them up because for whatever reason. I don't know if it's the hook that I have or what, but it, it, I don't seem to be able to, to you know, get the crochet hook in the right spot and pick it up. Maybe I'm just in the wrong body position compared to the stitch. I have to, I have to spend some time actually picking up these stitches and putting them back on the needle, because a sock with drop stitches is that's just not going to work at all. So. But I mean, otherwise, we're we're definitely making fabric, and it's definitely working. Uh, I even tried putting in a heel, and that's one place where we dropped a lot of stitches because there's a bit of a catch when the yarn carrier is moving, so you have to sort of hold the the base in place until it gets to the end, and then you can continue to make the heel. So I know that. Um, also, the gates were being particularly problematic on the heel for whatever reason. When you switch directions, they wouldn't open and close, you know, as easily as when you're just cranking around in a circle. But I did do a heel, you know. I, I figured that piece out as well. So, you know, and, and yeah, okay, it's just a random heel in the middle of a big tube of stitches with a lot of drop stitches. But you know, I'm that's what I'm doing right now is I'm playing, I'm testing. But as a result of all this testing, I've definitely ordered new needles. Uh, they are in the mail, and I've ordered some parts from New Zealand as well. They don't, unfortunately, you can't get both needles and parts from the same place. So the parts are coming from New Zealand, the needles are coming from the States. They'll get here at some point. But uh, while I'm waiting for them, I'm just going to keep testing. I'm going to try and do another heel, this time hopefully without dropping quite so many stitches. I'm going to practice picking up the stitches and getting them back on the needle. And, you know, just I'm, I'm basically making a whole skein of yarn into a tube, figuring out, you know, what all the different pieces are, what they do. We've already, you know, changed the tension, so we'll see what that does to the gauge. This is just about playing. This is just about figuring it out. And the fact that I'm making fabric on a machine that's almost a hundred years old is really, really awesome. By the Wayside. And the other thing that's really awesome about this week is I got some work done on the accolade. I actually finished the whole right side of the piece, including the straight stitch. Uh, that's just for the, the columns, the marble, marble, quote unquote, columns, as well as the people there on the right hand side. So it's done. And let me tell you, that feels pretty good. It, it looks okay. I mean, the, the thing with cross stitch is that you can't really get super close to it. It's like getting too close to a pixeled picture. You can't really tell what it is. But if you're further away from it, you can kind of get that feel for for the picture and what it's supposed to be. And I wasn't 100% convinced about the straight stitch, about whether or not that would actually provide the depth that it needed to. But I think it's it's a good compromise instead of having to stitch everything. There are some places where there's long straight stitches that go over top of a perpendicular line of backstitch. 
Those I'm not as pleased with. They look a little weird. But once it's under tension and behind glass, I think it'll look okay. So, eh, yeah. But yeah, uh, that whole right side is done. And so now I can, you know, start working inwards a little bit until I get to the princess's face. And, uh, and then go back down to the bottom, the right-hand side, or sorry, the left-hand side to the throne and the floor on the left-hand side and, you know, start working my way up from there. You know, it's, it's, it's nice to, to, you know, be making some progress and, and, you know, getting ready to, to move the frame again. And, you know, it just, it feels good. What can I say? It feels good. Overall, the whole week has, or the last two weeks have felt pretty good. So we'll just keep working at it a little bit at a time, stitch by stitch, and it'll all get done. Thank you for joining me for episode 69. By the Fiberside is a bi-weekly podcast, and I look forward to bringing you episode 70 on November 3rd, 2019. Show notes for this episode can be found at www.bythefiberside.com. Join the discussion on Facebook or Ravelry. If you need to get in touch with me directly, you can email me at bythefiberside, that's F-I-B-R-E, at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening. This is By the Fiberside.